Hey, I'm Sheena, former miserable corporate attorney turned full-time calligrapher and creative entrepreneur. I used to feel like I was living my life for other people, and now I am more true to myself than ever. And each week, I'm sharing a short but powerful lesson that I've learned on that journey. So if you're looking for a way to get more creativity and possibility into your life, you're so in the right place. Let's dive right in. Hey, hey, welcome back to The Sheena Show. Today's episode is going to be really helpful for you if you have ever tried to stick with a creative thing, a craft, an art, anything creative, and it just kind of has never worked, and you maybe have a guilty craft closet somewhere in your home (laughs) stuffed with art supplies that you haven't touched and you've only used a few times. If that sounds like you, I'm going to give you a framework that will help you understand this and give you some tools so you can actually stick with something. Here's what I'm going to break down for you. It's called the four tendencies. I did not make this up. Okay. Full disclosure. You might've even heard of this before. It's by uh, Gretchen Rubens. She literally wrote the book on this, but it describes four different types of people based on whether they stick to internal expectations or external expectations. That's kind of the major divide. And from that comes four different personality types. So I'm going to break these down for you. As you listen, see if you can identify with one of those. Me, when I heard mine, I was like, oh my God, that's totally me. So I'm curious to see if you readily identify with one of those. I suspect that many of you listening might be the same type as me. So after I describe these four tendencies, I'm going to give you some actual concrete tips and tricks for sticking with something creative. Four tendencies. The first one is the rebel. The rebel is basically no one can tell me what to do. They don't care about external expectations and they don't care about internal expectations either. So they basically can't promise that they're going to do what you want them to do. And they can't promise that they're going to do what they even set for themselves to do. This is actually like the smallest portion of the population, about 17% of the population. So they're definitely more rare that those are the rebels. Second type, upholders. Upholders are about 19% of the population's. Upholders respond to both external and internal expectations. So rebels, they're like, no, I'm not going to listen to any expectations, whether they come from inside or outside. I'm going to do whatever the hell I want. Upholders, they're like, yes, I will listen to all of the expectations outside and inside. So rules, routines, hierarchies, Upholders are all about that because, you know, external expectations and they're like, I'm going to meet it. Basically, it's important that to them to meet other people's expectations and also the promises that they've made to themselves. If they said, I'm going to work out five times a week, they're going to work out five times a week. Those are upholders. Third type, questioners. Questioners are cool with their internal expectations, but external expectations they're not so cool with. Basically, they're like, okay, I'll do it, but you have to convince me why. That's why they're questioners, right? If anyone from the outside tells them, well, I expect you to work out every day, they're going to be like, okay, why should I do that? But 
if you can convince them, you know, that this external expectation is a good one and there's merit to it, and it's they should really do it, then they'll kind of adopt that as an internal expectation, and they will do it. Right. So those are questioners. That's about twenty four percent of the population. And again, this is all from Gretchen Rubin's book, The Four Tendencies. So if this is sounding intriguing to you and you want to read more about it, she literally wrote a book called The Four Tendencies, and there's a website and everything where you can take a quiz. Okay, here's the final personality type: the obliger. The obliger is not so great at meeting their own internal expectations, but they're really good at meeting external expectations. This is actually the biggest part. A portion of the population, about forty-one percent of the population, and obligers basically promises to other people. I've made to other people. Oh, I have to keep them. That's very important. But promises to myself, meh. I could break those. Meh, it's not as important. I am an obliger. <laughs> I read this description and was like, oh my god. Because if I tell myself I'm going to exercise five times a week, I will get up on Monday and be like.、Wah! But I don't really want to go, or、mm, it's not that important. Or if I, you know, promise myself I'm gonna、uh, treat myself to a massage, and then something else important, something else more important comes up, I'll be like, "Nah, it's okay. I can let that go. It's not that important." But if I promise a friend I'm gonna meet them to go exercise, I will be there. I don't like flaking. That I meet that external expectation. If a boss sets a deadline, if there's rules about where I should park and not park, if there is, you know, if pe- everybody wants to go to a certain restaurant and I don't really want to, but I'll go along with it. So obliger and let me know. Just like DM me on Instagram, Crooked Calligraphy. If you identify as obliger as well, it was like psh, that's totally me. Here's something important. Again, this is Gretchen Rubin's work, and I think there's not a better or worse personality type. I choose to see it that way. That I'm an obliger. That's fine. It's actually not better or worse than a rebel, an upholder, a questioner. That's just kind of the way I function. Once I was able to identify and embrace that, it was like, oh, well. Now I can use it to actually get what I want. <laughs> Instead of looking at it, as, at it as a negative, like "oh, why do I have to be so beholden to other people and not myself?" I can turn it around and be like, "Well, if I want to get the stuff done that I want to get done, I better make sure there's an external expectation that I set up." So, like that workout example, I used to go work out with a friend, Diana Aaron. Hi, Diana, and I would show up for those workouts, and even. If you don't have a friend, I paid to go work out somewhere, and every time if I didn't use it, I got one class a week. If I didn't use them, I would lose twenty dollars. Twenty dollars is not that much money in the grand scheme of things, but even that external accountability got me to go work out. So you see how you can really understand your tendency and then use it. To get what you want. Here's how I'm gonna connect it all back into creativity. Finding something to stick with. Finding that thing that you really want to develop into your creative passion. Maybe make a side hustle out of it. Give gifts. Maybe make it your career. Right? This is so exciting. 
but it only happens when you can actually stick with something. So if you know that you're an obliger and you want to say, learn calligraphy, because I know a lot of you are interested, but you find it really hard to do it yourself. Maybe you've bought a calligraphy set and you even went through all of the, you watched some YouTube tutorials, you got the set all set up, you cleaned your nib, you sat down, you did a few strokes. Okay, great. But then it's been three weeks and you haven't gone back to it. And then it's been two months and you haven't gone back to it. And you keep telling yourself, wow, I should really practice that calligraphy, but mm, for some reason, other stuff keeps coming up. If that's what keeps happening to you, maybe you just need to activate your obliger tendencies and find some accountability. That could be a friend that you have calligraphy practice sessions with. That could be a Facebook group that you join and they have a weekly practice prompt that you can do. Signing up for a course like my Modern Calligraphy 101 course where you turn in assignments and you get feedback and there's kind of that accountability there. Whatever it is, suddenly you see, right, how you can make that external accountability for yourself. Here's another way you can approach it that's a little bit different. You can tell a friend that you're gonna make something for them. You can tell your sister, I wanna do calligraphy on your wedding envelopes. And once you've made that commitment, ooh, you will be motivated to pick up that calligraphy pen. This is actually exactly what I did to get into teaching calligraphy in the first place. People had been asking me to teach calligraphy. I had opened Crooked Calligraphy, my business. I had run it for about nine months and people were starting to ask me, do you teach? Do you teach workshops? Can I learn from you? And I wanted to do it because I really like teaching, but I was scared shitless. <laughs> I was so terrified of, am I going to be good at it? Are people going to ask me questions that I don't know the answer to? Am I going to look like a fool? Am I not going to sell any tickets? I was so scared. So here's what I did. I activated my obliger tendencies and I got my boyfriend at the time to just book me a space. He booked me a space. I announced it on Instagram and then I was locked in. Then external accountability, I had to do it. And you know what? I did. I got it all together. I made the workbook. I figured out how to print it. I ordered all the tools that I needed. I figured out how I was, I was gonna set things up. I collected money. Once I was held accountable and had something to actually hold me to that promise, I rose to the occasion and I did it. And it changed my entire trajectory in my business and with calligraphy. Now I focus almost exclusively on teaching calligraphy and that never would have happened if I hadn't taught that first workshop. And that never would have happened if I hadn't made myself accountable. I hope this overview is helpful to you. Again, that's The Four Tendencies by Gretchen Rubin. She has a website, a quiz, a book where you can read so much more about it. But I hope this has given you a little bit of insight as to like, ooh, especially if you're an obliger, how to get yourself to actually stick with something. There's nothing wrong with you. That's the main message, okay? Absolutely nothing wrong with you. You just gotta figure out how you, what makes you tick and use that to get what you want. So. Bottom line, if you are interested in learning calligraphy and you kind of haven't been able to stick with it or you're scared to start or you know you need something to hold you accountable, go after that, whatever that may look like. And you may find yourself with a brand new, amazing creative passion. I hope this has been helpful. 
and stay on that crooked creative path. I will see you next time. Hey, if you're interested in learning calligraphy and you want to do it for free, I have a calligraphy workshop that I created just for you. I know how frustrating it is to buy the wrong tools, to not know how to use them for everything coming out of your pen to look like nonsense. That's why I created this training. It's about an hour long. It shows you exactly what tools to buy, how to prep those tools, how to get started right, and how to continue practicing so that you actually get good at calligraphy. And bonus, it will tell you a little bit more about how to continue working with me if you want to learn calligraphy from me. So that's at freecalligraphyworkshop.com. All one word, freecalligraphyworkshop.com. Hope to see you inside. Oh, you're still here. That's awesome. That means that you like the show, right? Thank you for listening to the end. And I want to ask you a really quick favor. Could you take two seconds right now, literally right now, to just leave a rating on this podcast. And if you're feeling extra generous, write a one sentence review. It really helps more people like you to find this show. You are awesome. I'll see you next time.